0: You're listening to Masters of Digital Transformation, brought to you by AIM 10X and hosted by Tony Saldana.
1: Hey, welcome to Masters of Digital Transformation. I'm your host, Tony Saldana. And each episode, we bring you industry stories with insights into some of the biggest challenges around digital transformation and especially in planning. My guest today is Yemi Adefulu, Yemi is General Manager, Global Supply Chain at Shell, and with nearly 20 years of experience in the digital space across industries, ranging from insurance, telecom, energy, and now, of course, the Shell organization, Yemi has built a proven track record for driving excellence in both asset management and end-to-end supply chain management. I am so delighted to have you on board. Welcome, Yemi. Thank you so much, Tony. Really excited to be on board as well. Thank you for having me. Yami's 14-year career journey at Shell allowed him to not only acquire broad experience across new business development, acquisitions, divestitures, supply chain management, and so on and so forth, but also develop a love of generating solutions to complex problems. And of course, the deep knowledge of uh, leading global supply chain transformation Which is one of the things, Yemi, that I found fascinating about you. You've got, obviously, a a very impressive career at Shell. But then, as they say here in the U.S., but wait, there's more, because (laughs) you've had much more than that. You've had experience from being an underwriter in Nigeria, all the way to your current role in the Netherlands. So I'm fascinating. Could you, on behalf of our listeners, share your fascinating backstory?
0: Tony, thanks. It's very kind. I really appreciate that that introduction. My background indeed has been very diverse. I started off working as an underwriter and marketer in the insurance industry. And I thought, this is probably going to be the career path I'm going to follow. And as I got into that, I decided to really speak to people that were out there and say, how can I create a niche for myself in industry? So I went off to do a degree in oil and gas economics in Scotland, and then followed on with a further degree as an MBA specializing in oil and gas management. Ah. And so then I thought, wow, okay, the energy industry is such a fascinating industry. And for some reason, as opposed to going back into insurance, I decided to broaden a bit more. So I I worked in telecoms, and then subsequently from telecoms, that's how I got into the, the energy industry and haven't looked back since. So as opposed to moving into energy insurance, I've now taken that diversity of approach, diversity of thought, and I've, I've really been grateful for the opportunities Shell has provided to me to work in such a vast array of areas and just continuing to go up steep learning curves and really making the most of my passion and my energy.
1: That's fabulous. And I, I know a little bit about Shell, but one of the things that I admire about your company is the the talent development and and the opportunities that it provides emerging talent. And clearly you've done extremely well. So congratulations. Yemi, the other day when you and I met for the first time, you said something that really caught my interest. You said, I'm not a run and operations and maintain things (laughs) kind of a guy. And, And I found that fascinating because you like the hard stuff in courts of driving change. And this is something I, I can resonate with because many people talk about change management from the effect standpoint. So the effect of change on the rest of the organization and the people that are going through change. But there's obviously an equally interesting story from this aspect of people that are driving the change. Not everybody likes the business of driving change. Mm-hmm. You do. Now, I find that a fascinating story as well. So tell me a little more about why you like to drive change. What motivates you?
0: It's a great question, Tony. On the journey of driving change, I've asked myself oftentimes, there's so much pain with any change, right? For many of us in our personal lives, we've always driven some sort of change or the other. Take, for instance, it's about someone says, I want to lose weight. So you have a New Year's resolution and you want to get stuck in. You do it for two weeks, you find yourself back at square one again. So the the whole journey of going through pain of change, I I often ask myself, what is this about? Why do I really enjoy this? Why don't I just stick to something that allows me to get a a daily life that's more in control And I understand? (laughs) But the reality of it was, as I started to explore this, I I started to figure out, there are a few things about change that really need to happen. And I I wanna walk you through a bit of a storyline Sure. that maybe perhaps brings us into perspective. So for me, change needs a trigger. It needs a why. So that's a critical part of change. The other thing that change requires is the tenacity to sustain, because there's nothing more painful than going through all of that and then finding out that the change in itself doesn't actually stick. Okay. And then at the end of a change, you either get moments of glory or in some cases you actually get moments of failure and that's okay. Because that's all part of the journey. And so what stuck out for me was maybe a bit of a, a story that I want to share as using these different uh, key points as a journey. Because we've also talked about passion for areas like countries like Japan, for instance. Yeah. So I want to use martial arts as an example.
1: There
0: you go. So, so imagine a gentleman who is actually preparing for his first world championship in karate. And this gentleman's thinking about, okay, what's my trigger? What's my Why? My why is both physical and mental well-being. Great. Tick. And then if you think about the tenacity to sustain, he has to train relentlessly oh. in preparation for that world championship. So five to six days a week of rigorous training. And he has to do it over a long period of time. And, and a lot of things that he has to give up as part
1: of his journey as well. And then lastly... It, it, you're not talking hypothetically about yourself, <laughs> are you? Um, because I know you're a black belt in karate as well. That's
0: correct. And Tony, this story is indeed spot on. It it really is my journey of actually training for one of the first world championships that I went and I represented Scotland in the world oh championship. Oh my God. Okay the, the, the best part of the story is this, however, is at the end of all of that training, and as I mentioned, it's either at the end is froth with glory or failure. I want to tell you my story about a failure because. You then get on what is called a tatami out for the the fight. And uh, the referee says hajime, which in Japanese means begin. And as he says that, you have in two minutes, all you've trained for several months or years could come to an end by just a simple kick or so of the opponent. One of the things that stuck out for me, and this is really coming to your question now, why is it that I like this? And that experience reminds me so much of it because of this quote that by Theodore Roosevelt, which is about the speech that he gave, which is called the man in the arena. Uh And not to talk about the entire quote, but there's a few parts of it that really stick out that I think in itself really brings this to life. And he talks about it in the context of, he he says that it's really about the person who is willing Uh and and actually to get into the arena, Uh whose face is marred, by dust and sweat and blood. Uh And he goes on to speak about daring greatly and talking about someone who shows great enthusiasm and great devotion and spending the time on a worthy cause. Uh I think at the end of it, that sentence of, I need, I enjoy transformational change because of the worthy cause. But I recognize that through that journey, there will be blood, sweat, but I'm willing every step of the way to get in the arena and be part of that. That's the reason why I enjoy this so much.
1: That's one of the uh, best answers that I've heard. So thank you for sharing. And you're absolutely right. As leaders, we've all been in situations when we've put ourselves out there and we've risked it all. And from time to time, there's been blood, sweat, and tears when you ask yourself, why on earth did I even take this on? (laughs) Obviously, there is a driver in for some people, it might be a particular career objectives. For others, it might be more altruistic. For others, it may be the enabling of the organization. But it's fascinating to see that there are elements of this, which is discipline, training, the ability to take a few hits, mm-hmm. the resilience, as you said, and eventually the acceptance of whatever the outcome is exactly. that are so critical in change leaders. So thank you very much. I, I really enjoyed that particular anecdote. Now, let's talk about your current area of work, which is the broader inbound side of the oil and gas industry, right? Yes. What is unique and different about this industry? And what are the biggest opportunities for digital supply chain transformation here?
0: Yeah, Tony, so uh, I think the area we're involved in is effectively refer to it as an inbound supply chain. And mm-hmm. that means we are really dealing with internal customers. Uh-huh. And I, I like to say dealing with internal customers is always interesting and fun, but it's harder than it is dealing with external customers because you, you can predict patterns of external customers. Internally, It's they have a different expectation. In the term of supply chain MRO, uh-huh. maintenance, repair, and operations, there's typically a tendency for that area not to be taken as critical or as seriously as an outbound supply chain or when you're dealing with external customers. Uh, So that really was for us an area where we sat back and thought, this is a true area for, as an opportunity. And there were a few things that stuck out. If you look at our industry, you can't just drive to the gate to deliver a piece of equipment. uh, You may have to drive several miles and then get on a helicopter to fly out over to a platform in the middle of the North sea. So the logistics around that, the understanding of sourcing and the understanding that if that equipment isn't there when it's required, has a potential impact on the operational capacity. It's a critical and complex area. And in itself as well, it's also an area which has potential for traditionally being taken as an area of complacency. And so that for me was clearly an area that stood out as one that was needing significant digital transformation as a means of actually enhancing and improving this area. And so for us, we sat back and thought to ourselves, what are the key questions Uh that we need to answer in order to guide us on this direction of digital transformation? And one of the key things that came up for us was, what is the secret source of top supply chain companies? So Uh don't think about this as MRO, Uh but think about it as any top supply chain company and really understand what their secret source is and how can we adapt that secret source to our cultural context, to our ways of working. And then the other questions were, so as we model this, can we learn from consumer goods just equally as an automobile industry or someone in tech uh-huh. and actually bring it into the extractive industry and do something different? And then lastly, we needed to truly understand our customers because with any supply chain, your customers at the base. Right. And for some reason, it's very easy for you to underrepresent internal customers because yeah. you think this yeah, is yeah. all internal. It's, a, it's all, we're part all part of the part family, of one team. Yeah. It's one family. But the reality is if you step back and really treat them the same way you would treat an external customer, which is with deep respect, with seeking to understand, by listening, understanding the problems that are worth solving for them, that changes the game entirely. And that for us was our starting point on this journey.
1: It's fascinating to see how... This entire field of change management internal to the company has not gotten enough attention. Whereas I think linking together your uh, previous point around change leadership, and then this topic of internal change, some of the same dynamics of external change uh, apply. If you make change management easier by listening to your consumers or customers internal to the organization if you dialogue with them, you are able to make the change stick. Uh, Now, you've had the occasion to drive many major transformational changes in your career. What's the most memorable one for you? And why was it memorable? What did you learn from it?
0: With all of the transformation and the change, I would say the one that stuck out the most for me was when I had to drive the implementation of a quality management system. Uh-huh. which was going to be used by our facilities across the globe. Okay. As I talk to it now, it may seem like it was all well thought through from the very beginning, <laughs> but the honest truth is hindsight really gives me the the sort of lessons of things that we were lucky to do well on the journey. And I want to share with you a couple of those key things. Sure, and sure. they're in thematic. One of the key things about it was we, we really thought about Benchmarking and, and for us, it was not in the way of just describing the word, but really about how do we set the bar for ourselves really high and like with any transformation. that's what you expect it's about where you set the bar that's what the stretch is going to be about and this start started for us with a strong curiosity about who the best were in a particular field and, and to put that in perspective, if I wanted to learn from incidents in safety as a very critical uh, part of how we do work then who do I go to to learn from incidents do I go to the medical industry which has traditionally had a history of challenges when it comes to learning from incidents do I go to the aviation industry where you can clearly see that every incident that occurs is taken incredibly seriously and there's a process by which they actually learn and ensure that's embedded in the ways of working In that anecdote, I will go to the aviation industry and that's just for one facet of a quality management system. You have to think about the broader part, but it's really understanding first, setting the bar based on the best in the field and trying to understand how those learnings are applicable to how you do work. The other key aspect was about systems thinking, because it's all about the sum of the parts for us on this journey, the way the process uh, will work, the way the people will execute the process. The way leadership will empower or set the tone for which work gets executed. And lastly, the way the digital, and let's not forget the core digital aspect of the change and how this all fits together. And that was a core part of our success journey, was really stepping back and ensuring that we understood that. And I think the last part, which Tony, I know from speaking to you, this one is close to your heart. It's about people. And I know that for us, fundamentally at the core of this change journey was about understanding that whether we had the right level of sponsorship in the organization. We needed to have the, the sort of understanding that it was critical to build a change coalition that was going to drive this. And the change coalition needed to be everywhere in the organization, almost as though it didn't require just the evangelists like myself who were keen on the transformation to tell the story, but everyone told the story just the same. Another part of the people aspect was we needed to make sure that there was efficient co-creation and again my words are very deliberate here because in a large organization you can have co-creation which in itself brings a bureaucratic way of working but when you think about it as efficient co-creation it means you allow the space and the time for many to contribute but you do it within a frame that allows for speed of execution and speed of delivery and then the last part on the people side was to get behind what is the role of leaders in this How do we actually not try to tell everybody exactly what to do, but empower them and give them the framework by which they can be successful in executing?
1: Wow, there is a lot to learn from there. I'm going to stay with this uh, for a couple of follow-up questions. Firstly, you mentioned the fact that if you wanted to learn about defect management and incident management and quality, You would go to the airline industry. What parts of defect management from other industries did you incorporate in your work?
0: Ah, yeah. Another extremely insightful question. Sometimes you learn more from failure than you do from successes. Mm -hmm. And so we did spend a bit of time understanding when it comes to defect management. An insightful thing that I took away, actually, was that psychologically, Deep professionals are the ones that are more prone to actually explaining away why something did not work out. In an area where you have a lot of experts and professionals in the kinds of industries that we work, it it resonated quite strongly with me that this is the psychological aspect of change that, that we really need to consider quite deeply. And so we realized that this was not simply about writing another process document to say yeah. Yeah. you follow these steps. And so, therefore, you get this outcome, you get this result. You need to understand the human side and the human dynamics of change. So, that was one core learning. And that came through as a red thread, both from the industries that failed yeah. and also the industries that succeeded.
1: There is a big gap between the documentation of the SOPs and putting in place of the systems and the actual behavior. So this is the proverbial, you know, slip between the cup and the lip, as you would. It's great to see that you guys actually learned the cultural aspects, not just the technology aspects from other industry. The other thing that you mentioned that I'm fascinated by is the efficient co-creation. So how do you actually put an ecosystem to work?
0: Oh, yes. This one is another one that's near and dear to my heart. I think it was back to my original point where I talked about the customer and understanding the customer to start. And and for me, that's been a journey that has not failed me yet in, in any transformation that I've worked on. But I think it's one that's very easy to miss because you have a mind of your own and you think surely this must work and everyone must buy into this. But I think the thing that I also love about transformation, and I think it's important to share this because this context is also part of what I think has made me a bit more successful, Uh is that I've gone into areas where my learning curve has always been incredibly steep. So I'm the gifted amateur that walks into a space to help make some change, which has been great because... There are a lot of people around me that are the experts in the area, and my job is really to ask the questions that really bring out the essence of what we're trying to do. And and so in this context, what I managed to do was firstly understand that a lot of what the customer is tired of in any company, and this is a general thing for any company, is the folks that are working in the front line have the information steadily in their hands every single day. And so they want to be empowered to make the changes that really help them on their day-to-day. So I took that away as this has to be a core part. So they have to have a voice in shaping our direction Uh, um, because they live this every single day. The other key thing that was important was the voice had to have a cross-section of the organization uh because it wasn't about who spoke the loudest. It was about an inclusive conversation that allowed us to understand Well, if I was working in a remote location, does that work in the desert versus if I was working out in the field where you could actually drive to the door? Very different context. And then the simple thing that we also did was we created the windows in which contributions were accepted Mm. and the windows where contributions were closed. Mm. We also made it incredibly transparent that every contribution was captured Uh, And every contribution, whether we did something with it or didn't, was transparent about what we did or did not do with that contribution. So it's a bit of radical transparency behind it. So let's imagine, and we're talking about a quality system. So let's just imagine we're setting out a process for how we execute engineering tasks, as Mm -hmm. an example. Mm -hmm. And everybody has a view that these are the things that must be done. And these are the things that are nice to have. And everyone's got a perspective on it. And we, we took the time to really globally listen to the community in this very short time frame. So it's, this is what I mean by the efficient part. It's short, it's controlled, it's captured, it's understood. But then there's a feedback loop, which is mm. a very radical transparency. You say, hey, listen, we did not do anything with this. And is that OK? Mm. And of course, the, we also took respected people in the community who had been doing this for 30 years, those were the people who were the champions and the stewards of the change journey. Mm. And so if they also were behind it and said, I believe in this change, those are the things that drove the efficiency of the process that allowed the co-creation because their voices were heard, but they also understood in cases when we didn't take uh, their suggestions, why? Mm. Which is one thing we tend not to do sometimes. We never close the loop as to why did we not take it? And if
1: the reason is, is genuine enough, people often are willing to listen. That is, uh, that is absolutely spot on. One of my observations as I work with innovative teams is that they're very good at asking for input, right? Provide your ideas into this idea ponds and you get thousands of ideas of which maybe two or three of them really get acted upon because you can't act upon all 5,000. Uh, but then what happens is that they never close the loop with the Correct. others that did not. Correct. So building the coalition by asking for input and respecting that input. That's very well done. Now, I want to go back and touch upon something else. As you work in the inbound gas supply chain, you are considered to be one of the pioneers in driving digital transformation innovation. So let's talk about your current project in that particular space. You are creating something that's actually unique for the world. Would you mind sharing with our listeners, what is it that you're doing and why is it so innovative?
0: Yeah, thank you. I'm just humbled by the way you framed that. And our journey on inbound supply chain transformation, there have been a few key steps that we've taken. One of the core things that we wanted to do was we really wanted to change the way in which we addressed inbound supply chain, the way in which MRO actually operated. So one of the first steps that we had was about, if I was to frame it, it would be think big. So that's one of the key steps. And, and so in trying to think big, we really looked at a supply chain that is often referred to now as an intelligent supply chain. So one that is underpinned by digital and big data. So that was core to the transformation journey. We wanted to be really clear as well that if as we were defining our future state, it needed to be one that makes us uncomfortable, but is not too far-fetched to be deemed unattainable Uh. uh, by the community in which we needed to work with. And then we wanted to also ensure that on the journey as well, that as we think big, we wanted to describe a picture that almost as though we become evangelists of this change journey Mm. and really start to to communicate regularly the change and and get people that equally evangelize about the change and the transformation of a true end-to-end supply chain. The other core of this was, if I were to describe it in the context of what was our purpose, Mm. our purpose really was about making every day excellent for our internal customers. And and we said, how do we make everyday excellent for them? So we needed to be fueled by an obsession around our customers. So really seeking to understand. And I think what what made that really important for us was when you start to speak with that language, a lot of people ask, so who are these customers? So we needed to dissect that a bit further because a customer for one digital transformation versus another are completely different. So we, we sat with them to really understand, okay, the customer for this particular problem is this. And so with this customer, seek to understand further. And then we moved away from a mental model that was technology forward, pushing yeah. a solution to really starting with the problem and working backwards from the problem. And that's all, yeah. all starting to change and revolutionize the way in which we actually transform our end-to-end supply chain. I think the other thing is, you will hear me talk about this term, end-to-end supply chain. And and some of the audience may wonder, what does that mean? Because we all use it in different fashions. The the next step for us was about integrating our work execution. So if we think about how does work get done on a day-to-day, and that's where the end-to-end comes in. So in a typical supply chain, we have plan, source, make, and deliver. Uh In an inbound supply chain or a supply chain that's focused on MRO, we don't make anything. We still plan, we still source and we still deliver. And because it's an internal customer, there are nuances here that we need to figure out about how do we take away the silos between our planning, our sourcing and our delivery activities. And that's a process lens. But then when you're done, now you've got a vision, you've thought big. You've defined a purpose about who the customer is. You've understood and you're obsessed about the customer. You've articulated an end-to-end process. The next thing that was really important for us was how do we organize for success? Uh So really thinking through an ecosystem that drives success. And that's where the synergies between the teams, Uh how these teams will actually execute the process. Because sometimes you might create a process, but your organization isn't set up to actually execute that process just by virtue of the structures that you've put in place. Mm -hmm. And then you need to think about the ecosystem, not just from the folks who are operating this in the front line, but also the global uh, community of excellence that supports the front line. Mm -hmm. And so that was another core part of our change journey as well, that that really made it where the first move, as I would say in this context, in really setting this up in a different way and thinking about it more in an integrated fashion. And the last couple of things that I think are worth mentioning here is one was about selecting a top focus area. And so we really wanted to go about this by a value base rather than intuition or gut feel. It really had to be value driven. In in thinking through this, the top area for us to prioritize on was really about effective demand management. And that's why we come to this conversation around supply chain and planning and why it's so critical for success and this in itself is really critical because it it allows us to think about how we get the front end in order for the rest of it to flow and really work in tandem and and, and i'll say that if i bring the think big context into planning we we really were thinking about what are the how can we do planning differently supply chain planning And we know that in industry, some people talk about predictive analytics. And it's okay, the prediction can tell me some of the potential future outcomes. But then we started to look out a bit more and said, what's the next step beyond predictive? And that's where prescriptive analytics then comes into play. And then we thought, okay, what was this all about? So we started to learn a bit more about prescriptive. And we realized that it was about optimizing the options to say, this is what we recommend for you. And and in a very complex supply chain, this is in itself a game changer. And that's where O9 brings in a a very different opportunity lens here in order for us to really take the rich amount of data, start to use algorithms, artificial intelligence and machine learning to give us a very different lens on, on how it is that we actually do supply chain planning in our inbound supply chain in the future. And then the last point on this was about measuring success. Yeah, yeah. For us, what gets measured gets managed. And the, the reality is any supply chain has a complex hierarchy of performance measures that if you don't really get under the hood, yeah. you don't really understand what's happening. You might see that material doesn't get there <laughs> delivered when we expect it. So why? Ask the question and go deeper. And then you understand there's so many facets that could actually impact that. Is it something to do with your inventory levels? Is it about your logistics execution? Is it about ineffective planning or ineffective demand management? So that's what we started to unpack on this journey. So that's a little bit of our transformation journey. is about really delivering an intelligent supply chain that is transformational for our customers.
1: Wow! Hey, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. A uh, look behind the curtains on what it takes to be the first in the world in creating an intelligent inbound supply chain system. That's fascinating. And what I like about this, Yemi, is you got to the technology piece towards the end. All of the conditions required for the technology to be successful, including the focus on the user, understanding the process, so on and so forth. Without that, of course, you don't get the benefits of change that we're talking about here. So, Fascinating. And thank you very much for sharing. But before I let you go, Yemi, one final question. So for all of the aspiring Yemis there who are potentially working right now in the insurance industry and hoping to become change management experts in the world, what's your advice to them?
0: I would say stay hungry. The opportunities that are out there are significant. I would say that The barrier that is set is usually set in our minds rather than actually true and real barriers. And so this whole concept of what I said about thinking big and staying humble and seeking to understand and seeking to learn more, those things are quite critical for any success or transformation, be it in insurance or be it in any other area. So those are the things that I would say, just work that muscle really hard of what does it take for my thinking big enough? Am I stretching my thinking do I have a roadmap? Am I learning? Am I seeking to understand more? And, and fundamentally you would do a great job. That's at the heart of it. And lastly, I must say, do not have a fear of failure. With any of us, Tony, as you sit here, I can imagine that you and I can talk about war stories of things that haven't gone. I've had my failings and I'm sure there's many more to come, but the beauty of it is it's actually in those failures that we learn a lot about what it takes to make change really stick and really happen. So that's my, those are my few words and and hopefully they resonate.
1: They resonate a lot. Think big, stay hungry, stay humble. And obviously it's worked brilliantly for you. Yemi, it's been a real pleasure hearing your stories, trying to figure out how things work behind the scenes across many of these successes. I wish you all the very best. And uh, hey, look forward to maybe chatting with you once again on our show. Thank you for being here today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Tony. It's a real pleasure. Thanks very much. Excellent. And for all of our guests out there, thank you very much for uh, coming along once again on our journey. I'm sure there's a lot that uh, Riemi shared that's resonated with you as it has with me. And uh, as always, um, if you haven't done so already, go ahead and subscribe to our show to keep getting new updates. And until next time, Don't just implement planning, redefine it.
0: Thank you for listening to Masters of Digital Transformation. For more information, be sure to check out www.09solutions.com slash aim10x.